0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Sox Machine Live. We are streaming finally again on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And for those that are also watching on SoxMachine.com, I'm Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis as we are bringing you this live stream on Thursday night, June 30th, 2022, as the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their series against Los Angeles Angels where they lost two out of three. They end up losing the season series to the Angels uh, four games to three as the White Sox won three and the Angels won four as they split the four game series in late April, early May in Chicago. The White Sox are not getting better. They are 35 and 39, but there are more pressing issues, Jim. Mm-hmm. I lost the stake bet. I lost it, and I feel so disheartened. Did you do the
2: numbers on what the league would have to hit today to drag? <laughs> Didn't even bother. Like He's... 14 no-hitters? <laughs> yeah, and that's not happening.
1: Philadelphia's already – last I checked, the Phillies were up by 10 – uh, over the Braves of the fourth inning. So that's not happening. So for those that knew about the stake bet, and for those that didn't, the stake bet was between me and our friend b flow from the 108. And this is when AJ Pollock was really struggling. And our bet, because I was confident as a AJ Pollock stand, that he would bounce back, Jim. And on June 30th, his weighted runs creative plus would be at 108 or better. And if it was, I would win another steak bet for Beefloaf because thanks to Rob Manfred, I won the MLB lockout steak bet. If it was below 108, I owe Beefloaf a steak dinner. And now I owe him a steak dinner because AJ Pollock's weighted runs creative plus is a lowly 82. And for those that are watching the live stream on YouTube this running graph of AJ Pollock's 15 game rolling weighted runs, creative plus really tells the story of the ups and downs during this stake. bet. for those that are listening to the podcast, we have seen two good stretches from AJ Pollock. I would say in which he looks like he's gotten hot and he is having a good seven game run. And then he falls apart, it appears, or he goes cold again. He's not driving the baseball and he's not walking. And just to compare, in 2022 so far, AJ Pollock's played 58 games for the White Sox. He has four home runs and 23 RBIs, and he's hitting 240 with a 276 on base percentage and slugging 365. In the COVID year, thanks maybe to the bouncy ball. Pollock played 55 out of the 60 games. He hit 16 home runs with 34 RBIs, hit 276, 314 with a 566 slugging percentage. So AJ Pollock owes me a steak dinner.
2: He looks unrepentant in his photo. Can you go back to the slide? <laughs> yeah, like,
1: what are you going to do about it? <laughs> uh, I'm going to charge you a steak dinner. That's what I'm going to do about it, AJ. Uh, But there is a more pressing concern other than me having to buy beef loaf, a steak dinner gym. I'm a bit concerned about AJ Pollock because Mm -hmm. as we saw with the graph, yes, there are moments where he is picking up and it looks like he's returning to career norms. And then he has a really bad week or a bad 10 game stretch. And, And right now in 2022, Pollock has career lows in average exit velocity. Uh, where his average exit velocity right now is 88 miles per hour. Last year, it was 90 miles per hour. He has a career-worst walk rate, a career-worst ISO, uh, ISO, so that's isolated power, and his 82-weighted runs created plus would be a new career low for AJ Pollock. Are you concerned about Pollock, and what do you think his future is with the White Sox
2: as far as this season? I am concerned just because when you look at his contact, basically all of it's going in the air. He's running a 19% pop-up rate, uh, infield fly rate. Just basically, there those are as good as strikeouts. Um, in in terms of, uh, you know, they they seldom fall <laughs> into uh, uh into play into useful contact. So when you when you factor that in with a What's that? 21% strikeout rate. Like 40% of his bats are basically useless uh, or plate appearances are basically useless. So it looks like just high fastballs are getting him. Like he's not seeing a ton of fastballs, but the ones he's seeing up in the zone are ones that just go straight up in the air. And whether that's a contact point thing, whether that's a bat speed thing, not quite sure, but you know, his, his pull rate is uh, a career high. I just think, whatever reason, like I don't know if he's trying to anticipate it or if he's looking off speed because he is seeing fewer fastballs and he gets surprised. But that's really like you know the strikeout rate is one thing, but when you pair it with the pop up rate, that's where he gets uh, just it it feels. You look at the strikeout rate, you think, "Oh, it's not that bad." But then like when you see all those other just, you know, useless contact, you know, runners can't advance. Um, especially like early in the count, free outs, they they're even better for strikeouts or even better than strikeouts for pitchers just because they use fewer pitches. It's just that's kind of why it feels so um lifeless.
1: Yeah, lifeless is a good way of putting it. Because for this White Sox lineup, you know, for example, Jose Abreu is having a pretty impressive 35 game run. He just came off a four hit night against the Angels. It means nothing because no one behind Jose Abreu is hitting the baseball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and unfortunately, there's no one in scoring position when Jose Abreu is hitting these singles right now. The, the White Sox are not capitalizing on this hot stretch that Jose Abreu is hitting, he's not hitting the ball out of the ballpark but he has risen his season batting average to above 280. So it's getting back to career norms for Jose Abreu with the exception of the home run. And that's where AJ Pollock enters the picture. If he's batting behind Jose Abreu and if you look at his past two seasons, you would think the White Sox would be in great position. Pollock has an opportunity to really pad up his numbers, really drive up his RBI total. Uh, We knew the Adam Ean signing last year was a terrible idea because we are able to identify certain metrics, Jim, to point to red alert that the White Sox should not make this move. Mm -hmm. Was I too blinded in my AJ Pollock love to not see the signs that maybe this trade between the Dodgers and White Sox for Kimbrell and Pollock was not going to go as well as we would hope?
2: I didn't really see anything in you know, his recent performance to suggest it could be this bad when healthy. Like all my concerns were basically, would he be healthy? Um, you know, the fact that he costs Craig Kimbrell indicates that he's, you know, he's susceptible to providing not much in a season. Like it just, that's, uh, that was the cost of acquiring him. And just because he can pull hamstrings and groins and just end up on the injured list, that, that was really my main concern. That really hasn't been the problem. It was the problem early in the year, like the hamstring strain, Uh, and then he didn't go on the, or he went in the injury list did not have a rehab stint. And then he, uh, spent all of April basically using that as a rehab stint. So that was like April, the early stuff was directly attributable to injuries. This one, you know, I don't, it doesn't seem like it. We've heard so much, you know, maybe it just gets lost in all the other leg injuries and the, the guys playing under certain restrictions and, and. Uh, you know, one's being accused of loafing, and and you know, Tony LaRusa has to say after the fact that you know, they're running, they're not running on purpose. Um, you know, perhaps he gets a little bit overshadowed, or maybe just you know, because he's hitting so many pop ups, like he doesn't have to run hard very often. He's just you know, kind of ha- jogging while looking, or there's a runner on the base in front of him, so he can't go anywhere. So he's not really being tested, but it doesn't seem like it's anything off. So I think the way he's uh, failing, like under these circumstances where he's playing most days he's available when Tony LaRusso wants to play him. That's I think the the surprising part. So the calendar's rolling over to July and
1: maybe this is a hot take, but I feel pretty strongly about this. I think this is the last month of AJ Pollock's tenure with the White Sox. Hmm. I don't think the White Sox DFA him Jim. I think the White Sox trade him. I think someone is a contender. Maybe it's the Dodgers that calls up the White Sox and they want Pollock back. Uh, Clear to be the, named later. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, Cause I don't think the trace Thompson, Eddie Alvarez combo is going to adequately fix or fill in for Mookie Betts And the way that AJ Pollock is currently hitting, he, he's not going to fill in that void either, but there's a sense of comfort between the Dodgers and AJ Pollock and, I don't even know what's going to cost the Dodgers. It wouldn't cost anyone of note to, to make such a deal. The Phillies with Bryce Harper now having to get uh, thumb surgery, they really could use an outfielder. I think that's an air, you know, that's another team that makes sense. I just feel like uh, some, one of these contenders is going to need some outfield help. And with Aloy Jimenez soon returning to the white Sox, It's kind of odd to say that the outfield is crowded for the White Sox when in reality, it's not (laughs) because they don't have that many outfields. Yes, exactly. Air quotes outfield, but we know how the White Sox are currently operating. And if Pollock's going to spend the majority of his time on the bench or he's going to play every other day, I say, flip him for someone else. If he goes and he, go, you know, he goes on a hot streak for the Dodgers, well, I'm just going to throw my hands up and say, of course that happens. As soon as he leaves the White Sox, he's back to being A.J. Pollock. But that's how I feel. I, I feel like this is the last month that A.J. Pollock is with the Chicago White Sox.
2: Yeah, it, it's... I think the only reason I might not say that is because he might not play well enough or might get hurt again to where they're just kind of stuck with him. Like, that's just, uh, I, I, get what you're saying. And like, yeah, if he stays healthy and has another one of his upswings, he could time it well enough to where the acquisition costs would be low. I'm thinking actually of another white Sox trade where, you know, they, they sent Alex Rios to Texas and got Larry Garcia. uh, and, uh yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, that, that's kind of the move where just, you know, Rios is not on the top of anybody's wish list, but he's an improvement over who's already there. Uh, they didn't have a use for Garcia. You know, just he had, took a long time to get traction, and so the White Sox got him in, uh for better or for worse. <laughs> Garcia is still here. But, um, yeah, that's, you know, we, we got a comment from uh, – I'll, I'll plug this right – from Noah saying, like, you know, an alternate offseason where they trade magical, declined Kimbrel's option, and brought back Rodon. like. Uh, the Kimberl option, I think, is going to be worth revisiting just because you know it did lock them into like I talked about, like having Chuck E. Cheese tickets. Like it wasn't real currency. They couldn't acquire anybody. They had to get the best of what was behind a glass gift case that was not updated maybe in two years. And so Pollock was not bad. Like, well, you can get some use out of that, but it wasn't it wasn't the same as you know, uh, 16 million dollars on the open market. So That's, I think, the, you know, if Pollock just kind of sags to this finish and doesn't really add much, and we just saw him not make a play in the left field corner, you know, we saw Gavin Sheets drop a ball in the right field, we saw Pollock drop a ball in left field, his play in the outfield has also been disappointing, like we thought he might be solving right field, and turns out he's barely passable and left, or maybe not that much of an improvement over Andrew Vaughn and left. Like it's a two front kind of disappointment that I think we're dealing with here. That's a, uh, um, you know, will really make the Kimbrel option look worse. It's, it is disheartening because
1: I had hope. I, I thought this was a really good move by Rick Han. This kind of saved as far as his off season, I mean, we're going to be heading to the 81 game mark and be revisiting the offseason. And, you know, I gave him a B minus mostly because of the AJ Pollock acquisition. But here we are approaching the first half of the 2022 season in the books. And it's like, nope, your offseason is enough <laughs> because the move that I thought that saved your offseason is turning out this guy's having a career worse season. And he's been mostly as healthy that you can possibly ask AJ Pollock to be i i do the trade ideas
2: 190 million dollars and made the team worse
1: (laughs) no kidding uh i like this uh trade idea from our friend down in new zealand shane Harmon, patreon supporter aj pollock for trace thompson and carson fulmer let's do it charlotte needs pitchers (laughs) if you can if you are a human being that could throw a baseball you should report down to charlotte they really need pitchers
2: Let me look up Carson Fulmer's numbers real quick. Yeah,
1: you do that. The other point that people are also bringing up is that AJ Pollock has this player option for next season. It is $10 million. It is a $5 million buyout. I can't imagine if AJ Pollock plays the entire season with the White Sox that he's going to exercise that $10 million option to come back on the White Sox. He can get $5 million and then go sign a free agent contract elsewhere where he wants to play... (laughs) So even if it's like a $7 million deal that Adam Eaton signed uh, in 2021, he's still coming out ahead because he's got $5 million coming from the White Sox. So I think that's another motivator for the White Sox. If they eat half of that, let's say they, you know, give two and a half million dollars to whoever they trade AJ Pollock to, to help pay for that buyout in exchange, maybe for a little bit of a prospect. The the gears are running and it's not me being petty. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe home. it Sorry. is me being petty. Get him out of here. He lost me a steak dinner. But after just watching this series and kind of watching the last week and a half of A.J. Pollock's at-bats, I'm really wondering if this is the last month that he's going to be with the White Sox. And, you know, this trade this trade looked not that bad three weeks ago as mm-hmm. he was doing a good job filling in for Tim Anderson, batty leadoff. But as he's hit another code spell, and with Aloy Jimenez returning soon, and the way that LaRusse is divvying up playing time, I just wonder if Rick Hahn would be better off moving A.J. Pollock elsewhere to another contender uh, and taking that decision away from Tony LaRusse's hands.
2: Carson now, Fulmer, by the way, uh, seven saves for Oklahoma City. He's their closer. Um, hmm. Having his best ever season, uh, only 19 hits over 32 thirds innings, 34 strikeouts, but 16 walks. Also, half of his runs are unearned. Yeah, unearned. So, well, numbers look a little bit better than they are, but Probably his best ever work. Good for you, AAA, Carson. So hanging good in for, there.
1: Good for you, Carson. All right. So that segue, let's talk about a problem that Rick Hahn currently has. And that is something that you wrote about on SoxMachine.com this morning, Jim, that the White Sox have a Lurie Garcia and Tony the Rooster problem. You want to go a little bit more in depth as far as what your your thought process for those that didn't get a chance to read your column this morning and they are currently watching the live stream?
2: Well, specifically, I said Tony La Russa has a Larry Garcia problem and Larry Garcia has a Tony La Russa problem. Uh, they both make each other worse and <laughs> make each other look worse with their performances, thought process behind playing them just uh, twice in a series, um, he has to appear in high leverage once because he's brought in as a defensive sub and then has to hit for himself because Reynaldo Lopez blows the lead. And we saw this last year with Billy Hamilton. Uh, well, it was kind of a double dose of Billy Hamilton and Garcia to where they would enter his defensive subs. Then they would come around and, you know, you would think logically speaking, Uh, if you sub somebody out or, or, you know, if you bring somebody in for defensive purposes who wasn't good enough to start, that player would be subbed out for offensive purposes. If that run is needed, like if there is no more inning to play. And on Monday uh, Garcia is the last one up. He's the last line defense in a one run game and he grounds up to second Uh, and, and just did not, you know, wasn't he, I don't think there was any thought process. We've seen Garcia, Hit for himself enough in these situations to know that you know uh, Larusa really wasn't considering anything else. He was you know to use the line from last year, looking for a single, uh, even though Garcia's you know OBP rounds down to 200, like he doesn't keep the line moving even. So there's that. Then on Wednesday, um, just has to or Larusa has to let Garcia hit for himself against the lefty. It was weird that that whole inning uh, because he had uh, you know Gavin Sheets there, like Shohei Ohtani. Was pitching for himself. They had a lefty warmed up, ready to go, but they did not bring him in for Sheets, I think, because um I'm trying to think of his name. Is it Ben Montgomery, the interim manager of uh, the yes. Angels? Yeah. yeah, the bench coach. Yeah, he was like on guard of like, okay, if I bring in a lefty against uh, Sheets, they're going to counter with the righty for Vaughn. So I trust Otani against lefty versus uh, Quijada versus a righty and Vaughn or even Jake Berger. Uh, and it turns out like that's, you know, he didn't need to be guarded against that move because Cajada comes in, turns Garcia around, is righty. You have Andrew Vaughn. If you don't like, if he truly doesn't have his legs, like LaRusa says, you have Jake Berger and you have Adam Hazley, who can come in and uh, be a defensive outfielder. And then if he's needed to re- be replaced again, you have Vaughn as last line. And sure enough, Garcia hits for himself, grounds out to the pitcher. And there's just no thought to uh, replacing him ever. And It's 73 games in the season. You know, we're basically at halfway point. This is three months now, April, May, June, there are no more games in June. So three full months of near league worst hitting, just about league worst hitting. And, you know, and and I think the frustrating part is La Russa after the game um, says that he doesn't look at results. It's too easy to look at results. And then, you know, say like, you know, pretend that you're making decisions off of this. Like, well, one you should look at the results uh, halfway in the season. Like that tells you, you know, it's it's one thing if it's like a bad week, rough week, hard contact. Like you know, I'm I'm thinking like Melky Cabrera's first year at the White Sox, where he had a miserable line, but part of it was just like all his good contact was ending up in gloves. Like this is not that, and then just more of a matter of like you know, it's uh, we were first guessing this. Like everybody in my Twitter feed, everybody you know, people being retweeted were just saying like, so uh, Vaughn. Vaughn, well, right. Yeah, you know, Vaughn. And then, you know, and then Scott Merkin said that, you know, I, I think he was the one who uh, said that Vaughn was going to be unavailable, give him two days off. And then, so the answer is burger, burger. burger? <laughs> it just It wasn't like, he, it, it wasn't like a down to one player being unavailable. It was just the thought process being terrible. And for some reason, he just, you know, like I wrote about, you know, not in this post week, but in a post on Sunday, because we have to talk about this way too much. Like, you know, it's not the biggest problem. Larusa isn't even the biggest problem with the White Sox, but like, it's one of the few things that's easy to fix. And it reminds me of like just the, you know, the whole debate or the government pressing on action for right to repair, like Harley Davidson has had to make amends because, you know, they just too many specialized parts that require Dealer intervention when people want to work on themselves, like the uh, uh, McFlurry machines, are the kind of the ones that kick them all off because you know they're they're always out and part of the service contract is like made to just allow these companies to make extra money. John Deere is another company that you know farmers are pissed off at because they don't you know just make it easy for farmers to repair their own stuff. And this is kind of what it feels like. It's that same court of unfairness, <laughs> like just like okay, maybe I can't fix a I don't have the know how to fix a Yuan Mancada size problem. Or a Yasmani all size problem, like I'm going to leave that to the pros, or I'm going to say, like, well, this is going to be rough here for us. But like, I can tinker. Yeah, I can tinker. You know, oh uh, yeah, I can change Larry Garcia's all day. Yeah, I can do the myos. My my dad taught me how to do that when I was ten. Like I can. Like these are the kind of smaller repairs you can make over the course of a season, that just make it you know easier to deal with and and get more life and enjoyment out of the product, and you don't get dragged down by stupid stuff. And I think you know. I understand you know why somebody likes Garcia and why you know like I feel bad for him because like he's being put in a position to fail like he's not supposed to play this much like I think you know uh, La Russa said last year that he's not a utility player he's a starter who plays all over the place and Mm -hmm. I think that just that's still the mindset and no matter like I don't know how more poorly he has to play like maybe just take strikeouts maybe it takes like a 35% 35% strikeout rate in order for him to say like, Oh, those are bad at bats week four threes. Um, that's, that's just missing it. Uh, you know, 70 mile per hour exit velocity, uh, even like a 90 mile per hour grounder right to the shift, right? You're know, right where people are positioned. Like he's almost there. Like that's, that's kind of what it feels like. And it'll take like, just uh, either just visible pain on the field or just swinging, missing wildly in order for that to happen. And I think, unfortunately Garcia has evolved too much as a hitter. Like he used to strike out 30% of the time mm-hmm. when he was like first round and now he's improved that. And it's kind of a shame that he did, which is unfortunate to say.
1: Yeah. So Tony La Russa doesn't want to look at the results. We will during the live stream again for the podcast listeners. If you want to see these pretty graphs, thanks to fan graphs, you can do so on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash socks machine. Jimmy brought up Lurie Garcia's season OPS. So for those that are watching the live stream on YouTube, you are seeing this graph from fan graphs on what the major league baseball average is and where Lurie Garcia has. And from like 2017 is when he started to figure out how to hit major league pitching better. And in 2020, he was above league average in 2021. He was slightly below league average offensively when it comes to OPS. And that has completely dropped. In 2022, Lurie Garcia's OPS is 480. Like this is late stage Gordon Beckham territory of where Lurie Garcia is OPS wise. And wins above replacement. So last year in 2021, Lurie Garcia was inching to about two wins above replacement according to fan graphs. He is at negative 0.9 war. So almost negative one war on the season. That is the second lowest war total in Major League Baseball for players with at least 190 plate appearances. And then his wins probability added. All right, so he's a player that helps us win games. No, he's not. He's never been that guy as far as with his career with the White Sox since 2018. In 2022, he has a negative 1.9 wins probability added. That's the third lowest in Major League Baseball. Only Jorge Mateo of Baltimore and Miles Straw have, (laughs) I don't want to say cheated, but cost their team more wins uh, during the season. So Lurie Garcia is what people would call not a winning player. He's not helping you in war. He's not helping you with wins probability added because Defensively, he still makes mistakes. You put him whatever position. Sometimes he makes great plays. Sometimes he has costly errors. He's doing nothing, nothing offensively. Man, if it wasn't for this three year contract, I would say DF, DFA Garcia and hold on to Josh Harrison for the rest of the season.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. We we keep coming back to this offseason. We just said that, you know, that Craig Kimbrell option looks terrible. This three-year contract to Lurie Garcia looks like a complete sunk cost. And I don't know which one is worse, but I I think the White Sox have a Lurie Garcia problem. The thing is, Jim, I don't know what Rick Hahn can do to avoid this, right? People suggest, well, you should trade him. You should cut him. I mean, is Jerry Reinsdorf going to be okay paying a baseball player for the next two seasons? To play for somebody else, or to be playing in Triple A while he's getting major league cash because your GM <laughs> signed him to a dumb three year deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I, the Jeff Kepner th- precedent is next May. Next May. So, the, so okay. So, the Jeff Kepner precedent is next May. Terrible band name. Terrible band name. <laughs> I don't know if I could wait. I don't know if my sanity could wait that long, but no one's going to want Garcia in a trade. Cause again, he's one of the worst position players in all of major league baseball right now. So I don't know if you can money ball your way out of this. And when I say money ball, the movie money ball to avoid the situation of having La Russa consistently play Lurie Garcia. It's just, it, it's really odd. And when I read your column, Jim, yeah. What, Drives me crazy about Tony the Russa, and has me starting to doubt his Hall of Fame credibility of decision making while he's managing the White Sox. Really, could be boiled down to how he uses Lurie Garcia. It's like the worst of Tony the Russa's managing abilities are surrounded by his decision making with Lurie Garcia. The damn phrase "observational analytics" that's nothing. That's just a. That you just call it what it is. My eyes and my gut mean more to me and my decision-making than the numbers. Just mm-hmm. come out and say it, Boomer. Like, that's just what I yell at the TV when I hear that. And based on his observational analytics, Lurie Garcia is close. Close to what? I don't know. But the results are the results. Lurie Garcia is one of the worst position players in all of Major League Baseball right now. He should not be playing as much as he has and I would not be shocked if he started all three games in San Francisco and we're all going to be a little nutty because of it. But yeah, it's got, just, we got a question
2: um, about who is worse. It's uh, Christian Pache of Oakland. He's the one player who's worse, a negative one uh, win uh, or one win below replacement, batting 159, 203, OBP, 224 slugging. So same neighborhood, 427 OPS.
1: Uh, and there was some promise when he was with Atlanta but yeah, that's, yeah, this that's is, not going well.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Beef Wolf mentioned that, you know, Larusa has a soft spot for bench players and yeah, like he loved McEwing. He loved Aaron miles. He Good loved point. Skip Schumacher and he loved Garcia. And it was fine when Garcia was a two win player and, and and managed to break through that kind of one win glass ceiling that he had to deal with and, and, you know, kept producing at various positions well, but now it's just like, you know, and, and what annoys me is like, you know, the, you know, it's too easy to judge off results. Like you're 73 games in, and your postseason chances have plummeted from 73 percent to 41. Like that's what you say when you're getting ripped off. Like that—that's what you hear from like a contractor when they're like, "Oh, this doesn't look like oh, well it's this, 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 this. You know, it's going to look better in the end." But you know, to the untrained eye, like no, I feel like I'm getting ripped off. I feel like this is a better business bureau uh, complaint in the making. Just like when you're this far into a project and you see it going terribly wrong, nothing lining up, nothing square. Um, you know, you know uh, there's stagnant water. There's just all this kind of thing you're looking at and just being like, no, I'm going to bring in somebody. Like this is a case where it's like, I want to bring in somebody else for second opinion. I want to bring in another contract. Say like, or, or a contractor friend or a friend of a friend can say, can I just, you know, bend your ear about this? I'll pay you like, 50 bucks to come out just Mm -hmm. to want to know if this is going the wrong way. And if so, tell me what to say. Like that's kind of La Russa. This, it it feels like you're, it it does feel like a ripoff.
1: Well, let's, we've talked about two bad things. Let's talk about something positive. All right. Even though things are not going all that great for the white Sox at the moment, Lucas Giolito, he bounced back Jim as he went six innings Six hits allowed only two earned runs to the angels. No homers just walked one and struck out six. So in that start against the angels, what
2: do you think worked out for him? It feels like there was a bit of luck. Um, you know, the first things I looked for, for like, you know, to try to get back to his old self was fastball spin rate, which was where it's been uh, fastball velocity, which is where it's been in the same kind of error bar, Uh, so like that, you know, he wasn't like throwing smoke and he wasn't, you know, getting any kind of huge jump, but it seemed like it was like, you know, there was a lot of firm contact, not hard contact, but like 90 mile per hour contact just went to places. But also like he did execute in a way that like he was able to throw his slider more than this changeup. Like, I think he got off of the idea of throwing changeups to righties to get back in the count. Like he was more, uh, more considered with how he uses changeup, he only threw it 22 times, got 10 whiffs on 22 changeups, but he had the count. Uh, he had the counts he wanted when he was trying to throw him. He wasn't trying to sneak anything uh, past anybody, and just like maybe the idea of him throwing 22 changeups in one start is enough for hitters who are maybe looking for that pitch in bad counts to be like, oh, uh, like the scouting report I had uh, is. Uh, outdated like it just you know it's I can't quite cheat off their test because the answers are slightly different this time around and they're in a different order so I think he helped himself out by just better location on his pitches Um, the question is I think you know can he continue to get uh, decent results out of a fastball that doesn't really still have the characteristics of what made it so good in his Cy Young finish seasons and uh, you know what that allowed him to do with his changeup uh, as a result.
1: Yeah, we're going to see Lucas Giolito this weekend as we'll preview the upcoming series between the White Sox and the San Francisco Giants in a moment. But I'm glad you brought up these points, Jim, because when you look at the data, and we talked about this in our last episode together last Monday, before Lucas made that start against the Angels, we wanted to take a look at the four-seam spin rate. Can he recapture some of that spin? The answer to that was No. Uh, his average spin rate on his four-seamer was below 31 RPMs from his season average. And, yeah, as you mentioned, the one whiff on a four-seam fastball, like if you look at the called strike whiff rate, it's at 29%, which is pretty good. 11 of those fastballs were called strikes. So I think you're on to something that maybe the Angels hitters didn't get the best game plan. Or they did not scout Lucas Giolito very well. Or they scouted because him f-
2: too recently? Like they? Oh, maybe. Just you know, Giolito hit a dead end, and they were still thinking he was going to, you know, bash his head against that wall.
1: Yeah, because eleven called strikes on the on a four seam fastball that's averaging ninety three miles per hour with the velocity. That's odd to me, especially with the way that the Angels have been swinging the bats and how much power that they have. So I totally, I could buy into the luck factor that maybe Lucas Gilito got a little lucky with the fastball. But I have to say that whiff rate right on the changeup is mighty impressive. Seventy one It 70%. looked legit.
2: <laughs> it looked legit. Like he wasn't throwing, I don't think he had many counts where he was throwing a get me over changeup. Like let's just uh, have them way out in front, pull it foul, get me back in the count. Like I, It looked like he was, he had set up his plate appearances well enough to use them to do damage.
1: Yeah, he struck out Mike Trout a couple of times, and he struck out Shohei Otani. So those are the at-bats that give me a little bit more confidence in saying that, yeah, Lucas Giolito had a bounce-back start. This is great. Hopefully he can continue this and carry this into his next starts for the White Sox because they have some big games coming up where they really need Lucas Giolito, the old Lucas Giolito, to show up for the Chicago White Sox. As Again, when they come back, they have all these AL Central games uh, before the All-Star break. And something else that caught my attention. So the month of June is over for Lucas Giolito. His month ERA is 7.67. And that month ERA is higher than what Dallas Keichel's ERA was in the month of May before he got DFA'd at 7.36. We're not big into win-loss records for specific pitchers on this show, However, I am curious in your thoughts, Jim, because I looked up win-lost records when a starting pitcher is starting for their team. Mm-hmm. And Dylan Cease this year, when he starts, the White Sox are 11-4. That's pretty good. 11 wins out of 15 starts. You take that. That feels pretty good as a White Sox fan that when Dylan Cease is on the mound, the White Sox have a really good chance of winning tonight. Michael Kopech starts. The White Sox are five and nine. When Lucas Giolito starts, the White Sox are four and nine. So <laughs> the, the way that they play, the very few runs that they score for Michael Kopech, I've been noticing in his game logs where the opponent only scores four runs, but the White Sox scored one run uh, in support of Michael Kopech. Like, it washes away the, the White Sox offensive performances and also defense to a point behind Kopech and Giolito. Like, washes away all of the advantage that they build up in the Dillon C starts. Uh, Johnny Cueto, the White Sox are, are four and five, but it it just feels like on paper, if you have an upcoming three-game stretch gym where mm-hmm. it sees Kopech and Giolito, personally, I feel a lot of confidence that the White Sox can get three really good starts from those guys and put the White Sox in position to win games. Well, right now they're only winning consistently the Dylan C starts Mm -hmm. and they're falling on their face with the Lucas Giolito and Michael Kopech starts. And that kind of leads to being disheartened again.
2: Yeah, I think Kopech uh, is, you know, this last time out, that was a case where I am concerned about the way I'm not concerned about the way he looks like he's fine for the way he looks and i expected him to be uneven going the season mm-hmm. through the six-month grind and i think it's a minor miracle that that knee injury he suffered that knocked him out of the first inning uh earlier in the month like did not result in him going on the injured list and he's still a functional pitcher but uh the way Larusa handled him uh in the sixth inning and you know and i first guessed it on twitter just said like i don't know if i like this 90 pitches kind of labored through the fifth uh Struck out Otani, but then three pitches later, single, line drive, single, homer to center, they're down 4 nothing, And, you know, it, it's a case where, um, you know, well, that was a staggering stat to me. Like, I did not expect it. I, I figured, like, Kopech – I knew Kopech had starts where he was basically unhittable, especially, like, after an early stumble. But I didn't realize third time through, hitters were 0-29 against him when seeing him a third time in the game. So that one I kind of understood, but, you know, I also thought, like, just with the – um you know with the way he's looked since the knee injury like velocity's down a little bit life has been down a little bit like just i don't know if that fastball has the jump that it does like carlos redon remember uh when he made his leap he could ramp up that fastball velocity late it was like he was his own reliever and so like mm-hmm. second time through like you his third time through numbers are great because like oh now i'm a guy with 99 mile per hour fastball versus 94 the first time he saw me uh you know, Kopech, his velocity is going down. So I think he's more ordinary. So I think he's more of a case where he has to be managed more carefully in those later innings. But I think, you know, his outings have been, you know, early stumble and then the offense does come back. G Lito is the one I think it's been disappointing just because he's given up homers. Like he's had the Homer problem. And that's the, the other good thing about the start is it broke a uh, five-start streak of allowing homers. Like he'd given up, let me see nine homers over his previous five starts. So to have no homers, uh against the angels the ball stayed in the park like that's another point in the favor that i forgot to mention
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast
2: Well, we'll see on
1: how Lucas Giolito performs against the San Francisco Giants, as that will be the next opponent for the Chicago White Sox as they head up Northern California from Anaheim and visit San Francisco. The San Francisco Giants are at 40 and 34, so that's a pretty good start. But when you are in the National League West with a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers and a team that's been playing really good baseball In the San Diego Padres, 40-34 and is not going to cut it if you're trying to repeat as the National League West champions as the Giants did last year, shocking the baseball world. They're currently third place. They're six games back of the Dodgers. They're currently one game back of the wild card. So if the season were to end today, the Giants would not be in the postseason. And that's getting some San Francisco Giants fans uh, beginning to sweat out in the Bay. They have not been playing great baseball their last 10 games. The Giants are three and seven. They are 21 and 17 at home this season. So it's not exactly a walk in the park for the Chicago White Sox. And your pitching probables for this series for the Chicago White Sox starting at Friday night, this is a 9 15 start central time for the White Sox. Sorry, everyone, I don't make up the times. Lance Lynn will be making that start for the White Sox on Saturday, July 2nd. This is a 3:05 p.m. Central Time start during the afternoon. It is a great pitching matchup. Logan Webb's going to get the ball for the Giants, but opposing him will be Dylan Cease. And then on Sunday on July 3rd at 3:05 p.m. Central Time, it will be Lucas Giolito for the White Sox. And after this series the White Sox come home And they play the Minnesota Twins over 4th of July. And they'll have that three-game series to start off a seven-game homestand as they'll have a four-game series against the Detroit Tigers from Thursday through Sunday next week. That is a big week for the White Sox. But first, got to take care of business in San Francisco. And when I'm looking at this Giants team, Jim, one player in particular really jumps out at me. And that's Jock Peterson. We have spoken a lot about Jock Peterson and his possible fits with the Chicago White Sox. Jock Peterson might be going to the All-Star game this year because he's hit 17 home runs already and has a 933 OPS. And Jim, that would look really good on the White Sox right now.
2: Sure would. Sorry about that, I had myself mute. Um yeah, it, we talked about it last year with uh Eaton versus Peterson and just the idea that um, you know, Peterson might be frustrating. He might he, you know, he might give you what he gave the Cubs, which is not a whole lot, but he's rosterable and he gets hot. Like he, he has some streaks, he has some power, like he can occasionally make himself very useful as the Braves found out. And that's uh, you know, I think every year he proves he's worth the shot until like the year that he doesn't, like until the year where it completely falls flat like he's worth having around in some capacity and the White Sox, unfortunately keep going with guys who, you know, aren't around. And and we talk about Pollock, like he might not be around (laughs) depending on just, you know, whether they trade him and just try to get out from under that deal. Like it's not quite as bad as, you know, just cutting, Eaton, just you straight up, just saying like, Oh, we don't want you around, but it's, it's close. It's kind of in the same, same family of decisions in in terms of like, we invested a lot and did not get what we thought. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I'm with you there in terms of looking what he's looking at what he's looking like. I'm also interested in, in watching, uh, you know, just Logan Webb pitch because he's somebody I haven't seen much of. And when you look at his peripherals, like it's not quite sure how he does it, but like he has all the markings and reliability of a number one starter. And I just, yeah hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of the white Sox. hopefully it's like a justin verlander type thing where the white Sox randomly route him <laughs> and, it, and it stands out against everything else he's done this season but yeah i'm kind of curious in terms of just how does he get the numbers he gets and and you know achieve you know he came you know, emerged from obscurity and now is like a frontline starter for a team with major postseason ambitions and you know rodan's out pitching him right now but you know Webb's right there it's a good one-two punch Speaking of Rodon, are
1: you disappointed that the White Sox will not be facing Carlos Rodon this weekend?
2: Uh, yes and no. Um I wouldn't mind seeing him just to kind of, you know, as a writer, <laughs> somebody who is uh, you know, producing content that's easy content um to, you know, write about what, you know, the White Sox might be missing from what they saw, but you know, he is tough and um, you know, you do get a lot of like, you know, when it comes to the Rodon decision like, you know, I understood why the White Sox did not issue him the qualifying offer when I thought they would be using that money a lot more aggressively. Like they would try to super solve another position because they they looked at Rodon saying, we got that season for $3 million. We, you know, no matter what, it's not going to be the same impact we're getting from him. So we're going to try to just apply that elsewhere. We, We like what Kopech can do. We can maybe get like Johnny Cueto as, you know, probably you know not him as a name necessarily but like we can find somebody like quay to provide like an impact and shore up the rotation we'll be fine but we want to use that those resources to really solve an issue that has been plaguing us for a while and then they get josh harrison and larry garcia and aj Pollock and so forth joe kelly like they spread that money around to most of the players who are not a good use of that money like just the way they always spend it is just you know a thin layer that does not hold up and that's i think you know in hindsight, it makes the Rodon decision look a lot worse. It's like, you know, the way the Kimbrel option looks terrible um, because they couldn't offload him. Like the, the Rodon decision looks terrible because he's still good, <laughs> and the the you know between the two, like I didn't really understand the Kimbrel decision at the time. I understood the Rodon one. It just the way they uh, went from there. Makes it less defensible. Like, if you're going to spread the money around to Josh Harrison and Larry Garcia on and on and on, like, you may as well have kept Rodan and captured the upside.
1: How about you hear me, Mercedes? We may see Mercedes this weekend.
2: I I'm think he wondering... was option down. Oh, did they I... send him down? Yes, I think so. They just called him up. I'm going to be to really see. disappointed. I yeah, I saw uh, expressions of disappointment. Let's see. Yes, Lamonte Wade Jr. is back. So, <laughs> boo. So Mercedes took, uh, yeah, yeah, he came for uh, Brandon Crawford, but then Wade came back.
1: Oh, I wanted to see
2: Mercedes this
1: weekend against the White Sox just to have that awkward moment uh, between he and Tony LaRusso. We're not going to get it. Darn you, San Francisco. When intrigue- Russa orders somebody gone. to throw at him.
2: <laughs> now that it's his choice to make. Oh man! What are the well, a, a,
1: again, again, the Giants have been playing great baseball, but I've got a bad feeling about this series. the The White Sox don't hit a lot of homers, but they're at Oracle Park. It's not a great home run hitting stadium. And the Giants have been playing pretty good baseball at home this season. I think I'll be content, Jim, if the White Sox win one out of two. And if they do that, I mean, we're talking about a 36 and 41 White Sox team on Monday with that seven game homestand. And I, I, this is kind of like preemptive in the conversation we're going to have on Monday, but I really do feel like next week is make or break for the White Sox season. like if they're not going to get hot during that homestand, if they can't make up any ground on the twins and they can't take care of business against the Detroit tigers, who have been one of the worst offenses in recent memory, then I don't know if it's ever going to happen. So I, I really like this white Sox team to build some type of momentum. If you even believe that in baseball, but they really need to start getting some good vibes here because it's one thing to keep telling beat reporters after the game that we still believe we're a good team. Mm-hmm. You need to start playing like a good team. Let's let's stop saying that we believe we're a good team. And how about you show you are a good team. And I think this is a good weekend to do that. Cause again, it's not like the giants are red hot right now. They haven't been playing great baseball either.
2: Yeah. Tigers won one. So if they can do it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, that, that series against the twins looming right around the corner. And like, if you're talking about the White Sox being like, you know, eight, nine, ten games back, that's where it gets really rough. Cause then there's another series with the twins, you know, right before the all-star break. So it's a really delicate stretch here. And like the only reason why I guess it wouldn't be a big week is because, they don't plan or they don't have a whole lot of ways to change the roster no matter what they, you know, unless it's like trading Lucas Giolito or something like that because he's a free agent after the following season. Like if they're talking about like a move of that consideration and and this week decides that, then I can see it being a case where, yeah, it's a huge week. But the, I think this year, uh, one of the reasons so frustrating is because there isn't a whole lot of you know, maybe they trade Pollock. Maybe you the, uh, know they trade a Bray. It's hard to imagine. Maybe they do, um, but otherwise, like the guys in contract years aren't really worth much. Um, you know the you know the players who are under contract who could be moved. You know, Yon Makata is not going to be moved. Aloy mm-hmm. Jimenez is not going to be moved. So basically, it, it feels like um, they're kind of in purgatory, and just you know, every day is just is it a day like, do does purgatory have days is just like an endless uh, one endless day. And, and you lose all sense of, yeah, that, that's part of the reason why I think like the White Sox keep saying like, uh we believe we're a good team. And, and Tony LaRusso can say, we're not looking at results. Like maybe they don't realize they're 73 games in because every week feels the same. Like it's, you know, the week of May 4th feels like the week of June 4th, which, felt like the week of April 17th, like maybe just these, these weeks kind of jumbled together and all the games are the same and all the starter, you know, the, the hard luck starters, are the hard luck starters and everybody's hurt and injured and, and guys can't hustle and nobody's hitting homers. And just perhaps, you know, they've lost sight of the fact that like, Oh, our postseason chances are now, you know, 30% less than they were when the season started. And we may not be able to get that back. Maybe it's just, that's, it's so easy to talk themselves into it because they feel like you know, it just feels like oh once we click and it just, yeah, you know, perhaps they don't click.
1: That's true. They may not ever click, but when you do click, it might be too late. There's just too much ground to be made up. They really gotta get going here. I, I mm-hmm. don't wanna we we already had that episode. Are the White Sox at the brink of collapse? We both cited towards, yeah, I think we're they're closer to collapsing than contending. If you still hold out hope, if you still believe the White Sox can make the postseason in 2022, they need a big July. A big July. There's so many divisional games. There are so many games against the Twins and the Guardians this upcoming month. This is the great opportunity the White Sox have to make up ground on both of those teams. Because the twins still lead the division as we are currently recording and streaming this episode, but they're only a game ahead of Cleveland as Cleveland won five out of eight games against the twins in these past ten days. So Cleveland has got themselves right behind the Minnesota Twins in the American League Central. But the White Sox still have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And after July, you really don't have that opportunity again until September. And you do not want to wait into the last minute to try to make up five games in two weeks. There's just not enough time. So that's, that's why I feel like the sense of urgency has to be this weekend. You, they really need to start focusing. And I hope they, I hope they understand that they've already played 73 games in the first half of the season uh, is pretty much over uh, next week after that series against the Minnesota twins. So again, if you're still holding out hope, July, the White Sox need a big, big July to get themselves back into this postseason race.
2: And that sense of urgency needs to be reflected by managerial decisions. And, you know, to to kind of tie it it up, it's just like, you know, not having Garcia hit for himself, not, you know, resting guys who might be able to contribute because of their legs with an off day coming up. Like it's a case where, you know, some urgency needs to be shown by the manager with his decisions in terms of. Who can you trust when your backs are against the wall? And he's trusting the wrong guys.
1: Great point, Jim.
2: That will do it for this episode of Socks Machine
1: Live. Thank you guys so much that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine. If you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream, we always take the audio from the live stream and upload it into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. Two PSAs, one real quick. Again, we still have tickets available for our hashtag 108 road trip in Minneapolis. We are having a pregame party before the White Sox play the Minnesota Twins in Minneapolis on Saturday, July 16th. The location is the North Loop Galley. It's $30 per person, and you get three drink tickets with your purchase as your purchase helps by not only booze, but also help secure the location so White Sox fans have a comfortable spot to pregame before we all go into the game. We have about 50 tickets remaining as we do have a capacity of 150 people. So if you are going to be in Minneapolis that weekend and you are now just hearing about this, you can buy your tickets on SoxMachine.com. Again, they're just $30 per person. If you just discovered Sox Machine or have been a longtime lurker, you can also help support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to purchase our Sox Machine swag. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.